It is currently 40 degrees Celsius here in Dallas, 104 speaking in Fahrenheit. And if you are an incoming student at UTD, be prepared because this weather will pretty much be the same every single day of the year. If you want an advice, don't pack a lot of winter clothes. Shorts and a $10 shirt from Amazon will do the work. You know what I'm talking about once you'll get here. But when the weather gets bad, it really gets bad. And Alexis, the guest for part two of the dark sides of being a product manager, almost didn't make it to shooting this episode. She had power outrages due to terrible weather conditions. But I'm glad she made it, and we had a very insightful conversation with her. If you have listened to part one, you know the drill. But if you haven't yet, I'll be stating seven statements that are supposed to be dark sides of being a product manager. Alexis, a reputable product manager at Indeed, will validate if they are true or untrue. And that's a cool background music. Let's start with our usual one. Well, you know what? So I was thinking it's it's kind of cool that it's thunder around you and bad weather because the episode is dark sides of being a product manager. So it might inspire you to re- reveal the darkest <laughs> sides, having the thunder in the background. <laughs> yeah, possibly so. It's, it's like, setting the tone. <laughs> So let's give a proper introduction to the guest today. My name is Alexis Guell, and I'm a product manager at Indeed. Is that good? That's kind of the sound right there. (laughs) (laughs) To give justice to Alexis' background, Alexis is a product manager at Indeed, a diversity, equality, and inclusion consultant, keynote speaker, and a career coach and mentor. Speaking of that, we're very happy to have her as our mentor for the Product League Club. Soon, in the mentorship program that the Product League Club will offer, you'll be able to book a one-on-one coaching session with Alexis. Stay tuned for more information. Let's go with the dark side number one, Alexis. The responsibilities and boundaries of the product manager role are often unclear. Yeah, I would say this is definitely true, whether you're switching from a product manager role in one company to another, or even internally in different companies. Um, I have switched between product manager roles between different companies and even in companies and different individuals have different definitions of what a product manager should be doing, especially Mm. if you're focused on different product areas. If you're focused on something that's around funnel conversion, you'd be looking at different subset of items. If you're looking at product management for landing pages, for example, that's a whole different set. And you deal with different stakeholders and teams that are entailed with that. So it's really important for you to set incredibly clear expectations because being a product manager does vary widely. And it's a great opportunity to understand what your stakeholders or your customers' problems are um, and for you to help them understand how you can bring value to them directly. You may even get to the point where some people don't understand the value of product managers. I've been in a place where I was a product manager and I worked for the operation team and it wasn't quite clear how to work with a product manager. It was a great opportunity for me to level set and understand what problems that they were encountering and to help them help themselves by by educating them on what a product manager does. Um, oftentimes, too, in, in different roles as a product manager, you may get individuals um, coming to you and asking you a bunch of different questions and, and you know, maybe different requests that someone else on the team um, did previously. So it, it's good to kind of take a step back and understand that part of a product manager's role is to help the team function efficiently. So if individuals are reaching out to you 
Um, and, and it's not quite something within your role as a product manager and something you don't, you know, feel comfortable tackling and maybe there's someone better spend time understanding why they're asking you to do certain things. Is there a process that's not put into place? Is the products and tools that the team is using not something that's solving their problems? And could that be an opportunity for you? There's a ton of different ways that you could look at this to even turn it kind of into an indicator of a problem that can actually be solved there. So yeah, the dogs are number two. Okay. Your days are often filled with meetings, leaving you little to no time to focus. This is beyond true. Ooh, I, beyond. I okay. Beyond true. <laughs> <laughs> I live and breathe and think in meetings now. Even outside of work, I think of, you know, someone's talking and asking me a question or maybe hang out with a friend. I'm like, okay, when does this end? When does the next thing begin? Very structured. I think there's pros and cons to it. Um, before this recording, I actually took a look at my Google calendar and they have the insights and it estimates how much time you've been spending in meetings. Okay. Yeah. And? My, my daily meeting time is estimated a little over five hours. Wow. Of, Wait, of are you, are you leading all of them? Not all of them, but they are all meetings that I mm. should be, I, I ideally should yeah. be. Doing. Yeah. And of course they don't entail if there's a fire and we we have to figure out a problem and mm. problems, right? So I would really say this is probably not going to come as a surprise, uh, as a way to cope with this. You have to ruthlessly prioritize. You have to be very specific on what you choose to do. And even the meetings, the meetings to attend, you don't have to attend every single meeting if there is something else that you need to do, that's a bigger fire to put out or something that has more priorities. Another thing that I've started to do recently on my team is to look at opportunities to remove duplicative meetings. I found that I was meeting with several other product managers who were interested in my product space and asking me questions that I was answering over and over and over again. So what I decided to do was document all of those answers to the questions in a doc. And I, instead of having one-on-ones with four different product managers, I created an open office hours for my product space specifically. So if you wanted to meet with me and talk to me and ask me questions about my product space, you can come to my open office hours, which was a dedicated time on my calendar, um, which really helped me use my time effectively. And, and it also helped everyone else too, who had similar questions that I had one-on-ones with and was kind of answering in a silo place. Mm. Um, I would really recommend to blocking off your calendar. I know that can only work so much, but if this is a trend that you're seeing across your entire team and you can get your team engineering design to commit to a no meeting Wednesday afternoons or Fridays or, or mm, so on and so right. forth, I would really strongly encourage to do that. Even test it out with your team for bi-weekly, just once every two weeks or for a couple of Fridays, and then get feedback on people's experiences, right? Collect that feedback in a very quantitative way, write it down, Google form and whatnot to leverage the opportunity for your team to continue to do that. Because oftentimes it's not just the product manager who is feeling it. There's probably several other individuals on the team who's also feeling that, that right. point. Alexis, this is a stupid question, but doesn't it get boring? How can you focus for five hours a <laughs> meeting? I mean, at university, the, the lecture time is like three hours. But let's be honest, we don't pay attention to all of those three hours. <laughs> but you have to pay attention to, to, to those meetings because there's a decision making and stuff. How is there a strategy how you get 
are are focused on on such meetings? <laughs> yeah, that is a great question. Um, so it kind of depends on the week. To be completely honest with you, it if it is let's say an all hands and there is a recording. I will likely not attend and I will watch or listen to the recording later when mm, I have more time. Okay. Fair enough. And I would really I would really strongly encourage everyone to not only record your really important meetings and distribute out those recordings but to listen to meetings when they they, they are opportune. But oftentimes you don't have that opportunity, right? And so to stay engaged in these meetings, it's it's incredibly hard when we live in a virtual world. I shared with you that I work mostly from home, which means right. I And so I have become somewhat of a multitasker and that is a pro and a con. A pro is that I'm very efficient, but a con is that I may miss minute things that happen in meetings. Mm -hmm. So I I think in order to stay really engaged in the meetings too, one of the things that have helped me is just simply writing down or taking notes. Okay, so meetings, meetings, meetings. That's that's about it. We should prepare. That's why they say product manager should be a good communicator, right? Because five hours of meetings, better work on those communication skills. <laughs> and before we move forward, I want to remind you that this podcast is part of the Product League Club at UT Dallas. Our club is about learning, growing, and meeting new aspiring product managers. Speaking of which, meet Karan. Hey, I'm Karan Kohl, and I'm the VP of Strategy at the Product League. I co-founded the Product League so that I can create a platform to network and grow together as product managers. So become a member and join us. Visit our website www.theproductleague.com and become a member now. Let's go to dark side number three. Everything takes longer than you think, especially software development. Yes, especially Mm. software development. This is also (laughs) true to a certain extent. Okay. I I think it depends on what you're talking about. And it also depends on how new you are to the team. Mm. Uh, One of the things that I really believe is that the foundation product managers, I think I shared this earlier, is responsible for helping the team be efficient. The product manager, to a certain extent, I would say they're responsible for in conjunction with maybe engineering managers or other leaders on the team and developing the team culture. And it's really important to have a foundation of trust. And it may take time for you to build that with your team. And when you have a foundation of trust in your team, you can have clear communication with your team. I've definitely dealt in situations where the engineers on the team for a particular problem, and I'm thinking about something specific uh, that happened not too long ago, were really excited for us to reach the launch date that we had told our stakeholders that we would reach. Now, when we when you push back a launch date, there may be some things that are impacted, but ultimately, if you push back a launch date by two weeks, it's not something particularly terrible most of the time. And in this time, it was that was kind of the case. But the engineers did not know me well enough to be able to speak up and say, hey, this is not going to reach the launch date. And mm. so as a result, we launched a product that was not sound and we had a lot of bugs and issues that came up. Okay. And so remember that it's always, and I think everyone here listening to the podcast have heard this before, to under promise and over deliver and Mm -hmm. to really drill that in with your team too. help your team prioritize on what they should be focusing next. Um, Especially, you know, when, when you're on stand up or in your weekly retros, when you're discussing with your engineers, use terms like theme of the week or theme of the sprint to keep things on track. And if things are consistently thrown off, 
understand why. Maybe you're planning an MVP that's too large. Maybe there are lots of bugs and you take a step back and focus on a different problem. Maybe a lot of support questions are coming up. It's a great opportunity for the product manager to like take a step back and learn what's happening with your team. On the, on the flip side of that, it's key for you to be transparent with your stakeholders and help educate them on the development process. And kind of what I mentioned earlier, maybe we launched that specific feature, that specific uh, product two weeks later, and it's just two weeks, but what does that mean for the stakeholders, right? Explain to others how you prioritize, which can help you prioritize better. If someone's coming to you with a problem and they want your entire engineering team to completely shift focus, explain to them what materials would help you help them, right? Do they know the mm. impact statement? What's the impact to the business? How does this relate to other things that are we're prioritizing, so on and so forth? So the dark side number four says, you have an enormous amount of responsibility without any direct authority. I was I was surprised when I first heard this. I was like, how is it possible? And I've stated in every episode of this podcast. Tell me, <laughs> what do you think? True, untrue? Yeah, I I think I think this is mostly true. As <laughs> I as I was thinking about this question, I kept thinking, wait, do we really not have authority? <laughs> and, I, and I kept thinking about things in different ways, trying to convince myself, oh, maybe the roadmap or maybe the vision. Uh. And I think that product management has areas of incredibly, as a product manager, you have areas of incredibly high influence. Maybe it's not quite authority. It feels like authority in specific situations, but you have high influence on things like the roadmap or the vision strategy, maybe even the specific solution. Um, prioritization is, is a great one that you have high influence on. Do you have central authority and no one can override your authority? Absolutely not. But you do have a place where you have a lot of influence on. Mm. And so, but influence is also hard to get, right? It's not just about authority given and informally, but influence is also a form of, of authority in a sense. That's also hard to get, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends. I think that the product manager's top skill to hone into is the ability to influence. And influence doesn't mean you pay your engineering manager 20 bucks to prioritize what you want to. <laughs> right. It's, that's also it's, a form of influence, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me know. I'll happily take the 20 bucks. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's more so how you do the influencing and what do you use to influence, whether it is data or your conversations and why you are choosing to influence one thing over the other. And I, I think, you know, especially in maybe some listeners have heard this before. If you're new to the product world, maybe not, but it's really important to understand how you can tell a story. That is huge. And you will hear it again and again in your career as a product manager mm -hmm. of telling a story. Is this a compelling story? This helps teams and leadership um, stakeholders get bought into what you have high influence on, the visions, the roadmaps, um, and there's different things that you can do in order to tell a better story, um, like understanding the goals of your stakeholders and, and aligning that metrics and, and all that stuff. But you should really be able to tell a crisp story of what you want to do uh, and get people bought into that. But as far as I also think from my experience and my very short experience, you, you, you don't even need authority. Now that I thought of and also my internship and everything, 
it, it's not that you actually need authority, right? Because developers know what they're doing. It's a collaborative uh, environment. Everybody collaborates together. So even if you were given authority, maybe as a product manager, you don't you don't have room to use it, right? So it's always influence or nothing. Do you agree with that? Is it too extreme? <laughs> I guess, what do you mean by you wouldn't have, or you don't need to have that authority? I guess, what do you, you know, talking about? So by authority, as as I, I, like authority is like, hey, you do this job or you're fired. <laughs> that's the most extreme authority, right? So that's the, the formal authority. But influence, it's more, it's a form of authority, but you don't have that capability to say, hey, do this or that. But again, it's a collaborative environment. So even if someone says, mm -hmm. Alexis, you have the authority to do that, developers are independent on their own. So you don't need it, right? Even if someone gives you authority, you still wouldn't be able to use it as a product manager. Am I wrong in this understanding or observation of my experience so far? <laughs> I would really hope no one would want to use the authority of do this, you're fired. Yeah, if anyone's here in that environment, maybe take a look at what's happening around you. <laughs> hey, this is what managers do, right? I mean, I've been in sales and this is what people do in sales. That's that's happening out there. But you're in product management, so we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I've never been in sales, so I can't talk to that. But I do know <laughs> that I mentioned this earlier, but the foundation of your team is trust. People have been hired yep. Yep, 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 positions yep. for specific reasons and trust goes both ways. If you are your team's number one advocate, they will advocate for you back. So mm -hmm. it's it's important for you to build those relationships and to keep in touch, whether they're on your team or not, right? I, this has been incredibly helpful throughout my career too, from asking input on product plans from people who I've worked with previously or on other teams mm -hmm. to asking someone, hey, do you have the bandwidth to take on a side project? Will you help me with this? And, and, and it's definitely worked out, uh, not all the time, but I, I think it's really important to understand that we are here for a reason. And this is a very, to your point, a very collaborative environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dark side number five, you're often at the mercy of the tone at the top. And I think I just have to clarify what this means. If you're confused about this, this means that the business leaders can say, hey, you know what? You're doing an amazing job, but guess what? We're changing the strategy. We're doing this and that. So no matter how good of a product manager you are and how matter uh, the pr how proud is the team for doing that, Within a second, someone changes their mind and you have to redo once again. So that's the mercy of the tone of the top. This is definitely true. Depending on the culture at the company you're at or the product culture, strategy can go a few different ways. Sometimes it's bottom up. Sometimes it's top down. Sometimes it's neutral. That can definitely influence how much quote unquote tone at the top um, or top down direction that you get. Mm -hmm. Being said, I, I have seen and I, I know individuals across several different you know, companies and industries, this will always happen. Um, so it's hard when you're passionate about solving a problem and a direction may change, perhaps for different reasons. 2020 is a great example. When COVID hit, the direction changed for a lot of different companies. Um, reasonably so, there's a global pandemic. And so sometimes there's not always a global pandemic when this happens. Mm -hmm. So it's great to always assume the best intention and approach mm -hmm. problems with empathy, just like you would when you approach your customer problems or your engineering team or your designing team, approach with empathy, stop and think why this may happen. And ultimately 
we're very tied, product managers, you get really tied to the problem and solutions and, and maybe you get very emotionally invested. But remember that this is not a game of who is right and who is wrong. Mm -hmm. You're all in this together, right? Right, right. And this change or change from top down direction is just a point of direction and what path you should take. You may even still be able to achieve what you're envisioning. Let's say you put a vision doc together of where the product can go two years from now and you have a high level roadmap and next week, you come back and, and it completely changes. And that's definitely happened to me before I've put together a vision doc and um, my manager came back from parental leave and kind of scrapped the whole thing. But even though that happened, I, I took a step back and thought, okay, was there something here that I missed about what was happening with the product? And does this mean that I can't achieve anything in my roadmap or does this really just change the direction and points of success that I'm looking at in my roadmap and I can still do some of these things here that'll solve these specific problems. Mm. I don't really, well, I know I mentioned feature churn earlier, but I don't really believe in throwaway work. Something is applicable somewhere, especially in the planning phase. So it's great to most importantly, just breathe when things like this happen, try <laughs> not to take it personally. Right? It's not be as much as you can and focus on the work that gives you energy. Um, and, and it may even be beneficial to stop and ask questions and to learn from your leadership. I, I think that feedback is a gift and mm. whether it's from customers or whether it's from your team members or whether it's from leadership. And so if this does to come top down, stop and ask why and try to understand. And maybe perhaps leadership didn't know that you took the time and invested in a vision or a roadmap. And there's an opportunity for you to kind of pitch that to leadership, or maybe there is something else that's happening uh, um, that on the big larger scale of the company, you're not privy to and having that information and open communication channel with your leadership will allow you to understand what's happening there strategically. There's a mm. lot of different ways here to kind of learn from this. So your message is like, look at the bright side, don't complain and look at the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, you know, when this happened to me personally, it was, it was incredibly hard. I had spent two months putting together a vision. I got my entire team bought into it. There wasn't a roadmap before in my product area. And then I was able to get that all back. And I mentioned my manager came back from per, uh, parental leave mm -hmm. and it kind of shifted directions once my manager came back. And to say that I wasn't bombed would be a lie. I was definitely <laughs> not the happiest, but I think it's really important to not be tied to your ego um, in mm. the, your product management position, even exactly. if, it, yeah, even if it wasn't my manager who would shift my vision or my roadmap, let's say I uh, launched something and customers hated it and all the KPI metrics are OKRs, we weren't hitting anything, Right. I can't let that hit my ego because th the product is going to be the product, mm, right? Things are right. going to happen. I can't predict the future leadership can. So it's really important to not take things personally, not think I'm wrong, someone else is right or vice versa. And to try to understand it as a point of direction of where this thing that you're managing can go to potentially. Mm, I believe the beauty of being a product manager is just that, right? The change, the frequent change that happens. Alexis, dark side number six you likely won't get to talk to customers as much as you want or expect to. This, this, this is a thousand percent <laughs> true. Really? Me, okay. A thousand percent, a thousand, thousand percent. <laughs> when I read this, 
I immediately thought of so many times that I wanted to go <laughs> and just talk to customers and it just wasn't a possibility. It's, it's wild. Um, yeah. Teams are protective of the customers for, for always for a reason. Usually um, there may be some ways around this. You can try to shadow the team. Um, you can even let other teams know where you're coming from and, and let them know that you're trying to approach and solve for a common goal and be completely transparent with them. And I find that that usually works. Um, alternatively, you can leverage existing data there. What feedback metrics do you currently have? Can you implement a feedback metrics? Can you even do an email campaign to get some feedback? Um, what, what would that look like, right? Just to kind of get a pulse. But one of the largest things that I would probably recommend and, and what I've done to kind of tackle this problem is get really creative with your outreach. I was working on a product that was, um, or I was doing research on a product that was a mobile app. And I'm not going to say what exactly it was, but it dealt with a grocery chain. Mm, and okay. I ended up not being able to talk to people and uh, who were able to use this app for whatever reason. So I ended up putting on my shoes, taking my car, going down to the nearest store okay. and asking people in the store how they felt. And <laughs> yes, That's it was crazy. a little weird at first, <laughs> but... I got incredible feedback that I never knew and mm. it got my mind worrying. And I still think about that to this day. Sometimes I look at that doc and I think about all the rich feedback that's out there from your customers. And so I would really implore product managers to get creative with that outreach. If that's not an open phone line that you have with your customers and you don't have existing data to leverage, or you want something more rich, try going and going to your customers and seeing where seeing them where they're at um i've generally found too people are always excited if someone volunteers to pick up support tickets so if there's a support team where you work volunteer to pick up some support tickets whether they're chats or emails and, and ask a couple questions for customers if they have the time to and i've generally found too when you ask people their feedback they're very excited to give it so try that and email them if you can and ask them to mm -hmm. respond to what questions you have. Maybe jump on a, I've done that too. I've emailed a few individuals and jumped on a couple of Zoom calls. Um, and it was mm. very, very rich feedback that I got. That's interesting. So you did that kind of as a side thing, right? So product managers in general are not expected to talk to customers, but then you did that as a side thing that helped you to be a better product manager, right? Yeah, I think that if you're able to, as a product manager, approach problems creatively, mm. it will really separate you from just the base level doing your job's roadmap vision. If you're able to approach problems and get feedback in creative ways, it I, I have really personally seen the difference. Alexis, yeah. the dark side number seven is the saddest one. It says... It can be a lonely and thankless job without nearly enough support. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't start with beyond true. <laughs> That's, that would be devastating. I will say it depends. It definitely depends. Mm. Um, thankless is hard. That I think that thankless is a hard word. Yeah, um, right? Extreme. Yeah. So I feel like it really depends. Oftentimes on a product you own a specific area of the product and at a small enough company 
or at a startup, you may be the only product person. Or if you're starting your own company, you are the you are the product person. You are kind of everything. And so it it is important, I think, to build and develop support groups that may not be around support, but may be around getting like-minded people together to talk mm-hmm. about the craft. And it I think that you can learn a lot of stuff out there outside of just getting support too. And some of the things that I'm talking about is at Indeed, we started a product manager book club. And the product league has a book club as well. Tell me more about it. Nice. Yeah. We recently just did the lean product playbook. Um, And we, we met weekly, we would talk about it. And oftentimes things from our work came up and it grew other relationships and friendships out of that. Um, at Indeed too, we have a mentorship program. I take part of it personally and in, in mentoring people um, and also being a mentee to different people as well. And it's, I think it's really important to do things like that and to have a sense of community because I think like really around here and this question, what really resonates with me is having that community there. And it definitely takes effort to build it in certain areas, right? Maybe you don't work at a place that has a book club or has a mentorship program, but you can do that yourself, right? It, it's it's something that's sustainable for you. I think some of the other things too that I would say is that remember that your team's success is your success. And mm-hmm. when, when, you, when you're a product manager, especially of something around software development or tech product, it never ends. The There's no end line. There's no end goal. There's always improvement of some sort. So it's incredibly important to take a moment, pause and celebrate your wins. You, I think that is so critical. And I've seen, and I've been a part of teams that forget to do that. And product managers will burn out, but your engineers will burn out, designers will burn out, never the partners will burn out because it, it's just never ending. Um, so I think those things are really important. I said this earlier, but setting boundaries and really protecting your energy, what gives you energy? And what takes your away your energy. And if there's too much of things that are taking away your energy and what you're doing today to day, it's okay to put up those boundaries there and focus on the task at hand. Um, the last thing I will say around this too, and that maybe this is something a bit personal to me, but I think it may be resonate to some of the other listeners too. So it's very important for me to take part of if, if I'm joining a company, a company that I'm passionate about the mission and that I value personally. And so when I think about past companies that have mad or even indeed currently, indeed has a mission um, called help people get jobs. And I am very passionate about that mission itself. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mission that a lot of people can probably get get around and have personal experiences with with um, something related to that and helping individuals that way. And so when you're struggling to keep up with your five hour day meetings or you're feeling that burnout, it can be really helpful outside of having that community to really remember what you were doing and how you were helping other people. Hmm, that's very interesting. And Alexis, thank you so much for sharing this. And not only this, but all the dark sides uh, and all the challenges from your perspective as a as a reputable product manager, especially from uh, a perspective of students as well. We look up to you and to your experience, to everyone's uh, in, in this podcast. But hey, you are here and we don't want to waste the opportunity to also talk about the bright side of the product management, shall we? <laughs> because it's not all dark, right? 
let's save the the best for last. What is the bright side? <laughs> Not with dark sides now. What is the bright <laughs> side of being a product manager? Enlighten us. Make us more excited about this now. <laughs> yeah, I think I've touched on some of this throughout what I've talked about. Um, I'll mention a couple of things here. I think one, it's incredibly rewarding to see an idea come to life and people use it and people love it or be delighted by it. I, I think that that is a huge win in and of itself. And it's an, it's an incredible feeling to see that. Um, and, and to have your team support you throughout that and you support your team throughout that too, you, you feel this incredible sense of accomplishment. I think that's, that is by far one of the brightest things too. I think the other thing, and I, and I mentioned this just a second ago is you're solving actual problems. You are making someone's life easier by doing what you are doing. And that depends on your product area. I know I spoke for Indeed specifically, and I'm actively helping people get jobs, right? Depending on where you're mm -hmm. at, you are actively helping people with whatever problem that you're solving for. And again, I, I think that if you can bring that positivity and that in and of itself to other people, that's a huge win. And that's going to, it's kind of like art. It's going to live beyond your impact that you have at the company or at your startup or wherever you're at. That's amazing. That's amazing. You you mentioned uh, you mentioned the last point, like the product lives beyond you, beyond your position, and that is also true. And I mean, I mean, it's also. Do you get excited when you see the finished product and people using it? And do you use it yourself? And do you be, do you go to people and be like, "Hey, I built this. I was also a product <laughs> manager for this." Like, do you have these moments? Because Indeed is obviously a large uh, company, right? And you might as well encounter users all the time. Do you have such moments? Uh, so I have fun fact about me. I travel with my work backpack because it has <laughs> infinity pockets. And so the amount of times I've been stopped, not just US side, but also abroad, and they see my Indeed on my backpack mm. is, it, is, is far beyond the amount of times I can remember. Really? So you're a celebrity with your backpack on? <laughs> Without it? <laughs> It's funny because people will either they, they will they'll recognize the name, they'll tell me about a recent job that they applied for or they mm. got their job through indeed or whatnot. And then it's so funny because directly after they'll have some feedback on something I can improve. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so that's but, also talking with customers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I guess that's another thing that we can add. Just walk around with your uh <laughs> company name on it. Yeah. <laughs> And make sure your company is loved by the majority of people, though, because that could be dangerous in another scenario. <laughs> that is very true, too. That's very true. I've, I've had people stop and ask me, um, why haven't I got hired yet? That's a problem. <laughs> this is the end of the part two of the dark sides of being a product manager. I was showing my podcast to someone and I told them that the episode of the dark sides of being a product manager is in two parts. And he was like, why would you want to do this on your podcast? Why would you want to talk about the bad sides? Well, personally, I believe it's good to be prepared on all aspects, whether it's good, whether it's bad. But from now on, we will discuss only the brightest of the brightest because we love product management. Coming up, did you know that physics and product management have a lot in common? Well, I didn't. 
but that is what we discussed with Brandon, who is a PhD in physics, but also a product manager at Amazon, who is my guest on episode four, transitioning to product management. Science, it starts out with you kind of see something go on. And in the physics world, it could be a physical phenomenon like lightning striking, or in the business world, it can be like a company, a unicorn succeeds. And you go, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. And then, so after you see a phenomenon, the next thing it's, you have to make a guess. And, And here's the beauty of both business and physics. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, you're gone. It's done. If what you said happened didn't happen, you're done. It's wrong. Go back to the drawing board. Make another guess. Thank you for listening to the Product League Podcast. See you at the next episode.